we've watched the financial news uh, panic selling of digital currencies led to a great sell-off with prices just plummeting investments, if you want to call them investments. Uh, I wanted to. <laughs> uh, going away, right? Your 401k currently could look like a, a 201k at this point. Uh, and, and it's a fear of being left behind that's this powerful motivator along with the basic survival instinct. Fear runs in herds. Fear runs in herds. Uh, road rage is up in 37 American cities. Um, uh, election stress disorder has become a thing, and many people are experiencing it. Uh, and it's been a while since we've had a, a bloody stampede in the stores. Uh, but then again, Black Friday is, is just around the corner. Uh, do, do I have good news? <laughs> oh, it has been said that the global pandemic, uh, you know, panic buying of toilet paper started here in the Northwest at a Costco with a woman who overloaded her cart with a bunch of stuff. And the next person is like, well, what am I, what am I missing? Um, so everybody else starts grabbing what they can. And then pretty soon it's on the news and well, the news doesn't necessarily help much, does it? Uh, pandemonium right? Cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria. Uh, okay, here's a pro tip uh, for anxiety. Uh, problems that aren't really yours that you're taking on and maybe on top of the problems that are yours, turn off the news. Pro tip, turn off the news. Hard to do that during an election cycle, huh? Um, I'm enjoying it. You know, but the, but the quest uh, for this toilet paper, the quest to ensure that we would be able to clean ourselves even led to armed robbery in Hong Kong for toilet paper. Uh, we now have a word called panic buying in our global lexicon. Um, and then we, we remember this a couple years ago, just the long lines, bare shelves, even before the novel coronavirus was considered a serious threat. But I want us to think about this. What if healing and peace also went viral? What if followers of Jesus led the pack with a quiet confidence in the work of Jesus? I don't mean that they're not vocal, but, but you know that kind of confidence that just settles into your soul. We're going to be okay. Jesus knows what he's doing. You're safe in his hands. Well, today we're going to look at a horrific shipwreck story. We, we started it last week. And we're going to look through the influence of God's holy people. And we're going to see the story, how it ends in hospitality and healing. So that's the thread I'd like us to take through as, as I read through this story. Now, I want to read through the passage and stop at various places just to make some points. And then we'll wrap it up together at the end. Acts 27, 33 through chapter 28, verse 12. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food. They're on this ship. It's been weeks and they're dying. <laughs> they just don't know what to do, right? So as the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you've continued in suspense without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it'll give you strength for 
not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. How does he know this? And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Okay, now I'm, I'm impressed with a few things. You know, we, we have Paul, he's been told, um, God has sent his message. I will not allow any of these people to um, die as long as they stay with you. Um, but I'm impressed with the risk to God's glory. He, he names God in the presence of all. Paul is right out there with his prayers. The, he's out there with the promises because they're rooted in, in a confidence in Jesus. Wow. Yeah, how many of times, well, you know, we're sending thoughts and thoughts and prayers. No, I, I'm praying to Jesus the Christ. I'm breaking bread in the manner that Jesus broke bread. You just see the intentionality here of, of the risk to God's glory. Okay, so then, then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We, we were in all 276 persons. And this is Luke writing. Uh, and when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship throwing out the wheat into the sea. Right? This was an Egyptian-based merchant vessel carrying grain going to Rome. Their attempt was to get through the storm before winter fully set in because you were going to get lots of money if you pull into Ostia Harbor in Rome uh, before winter. You could get a prize. So they're going to push it, right? But now they're dumping all the grain. Now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay <clears throat> with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. You catching this? It's stuck, and the waves and the storm are just going to tear this thing apart. So the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. Does that make sense to you? That, that's the way of a Roman guard. If the, if the prisoners get free from you, Roman guard, you will be killed as well. So it's just time to... <laughs> turn this trial into a execution and call it good. But the Bible goes on, the centurion wishing to save Paul, interesting connection so far, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. So it was that they were all brought safely to land. Now, this is amazing. Can you imagine being in this? Just a horrific thing. But, but pause to think about how this happened in daylight. How all of them were now able to see clearly God's promise come true for all of them. Right? Paul had given them bread in the name of God and was open about their deliverance. This promise is sure. And it's daylight when this takes place. I just see God's hand in providence here, wakening these 276 into a, a God consciousness, an awareness of Jesus, and, and having to be named by Paul in that way. 
passage goes on. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and, and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, just think about that. Paul is there just doing hospitality, right? He's not just the prophet to Israel, the apostle to the nations. He's the servant of all. What an example. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. And the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand. And they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. That though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Justice in their sense was uh, this, this, this god, this goddess, Thike. Uh, she has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they'd waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds. And they said he was a god. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island, named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, he healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Now, next week, we're going to finish the book of Acts. But earlier I asked, you know, what if healing and peace also went viral? What if followers of Jesus led the pack with a quiet confidence in the work of Jesus, saying, with their lives and with their words, we're going to be okay. Jesus knows what he's doing. You're safe in his hands. Here's a key thought I'd like for you to, uh, to just think about right now. Jesus has the authority to re-script your story. And you can say it out loud with me. Jesus has the authority to re-script your story. You know the script that runs in your head about how this is going to go and how that's going to go and how it's always been and these are the issues and, and I don't think it's ever going to change and this is the way it's always going to be. And Jesus has the authority, say it with me, to re-script your story. So will you offer your story to him? <laughs> Jesus has the authority to re-script their story. You know who they are. Those are those people you worry about. You worry about them worrying about, you know, you're struggling with their story. Jesus has the authority to rescript their story. So will you be a storyteller? Now, none of us are the hero Paul in this. We don't have maybe a claim for these 276 people around us, <laughs> knowing that Jesus is going to only do this and not going to do this and all that. But we know we are kind of in our own shipwreck sometimes, right? Maybe you are in your own shipwreck. How do you know, how do I know that I'm not slipping from confidence to despair? 
I want us to think about how we strap on the life preserver first and then help others. Because if we as followers of Jesus are going to have a quiet confidence that says Jesus knows what he's doing, you can trust him, then then I'd like to just look at, at this slip from, from confidence to despair. And it starts with comparing. I compare. It's it's uh, it's it's their glossy life versus my grainy black and white life. The compare. You know comparison is a trap. It's the thief of joy. I struggle with this. I'm sure you do as well. So from compare to complain, it's all it's all going wrong. We're all gonna end up floating ashore dead. This is terrible. This is not okay. So we compare their life versus ours. This situation versus that. Then we complain. Do, do any of you tracking with me? This is this is a bit of what your story has been. We got to stop this slide, right? Because after comparing and complaining, it goes to criticizing. Oh, it's all it's all their fault. It's all their fault, or it's all my fault. This is it. This is I I I've done this wrong. And then the last one is to condemn. So now they have to be taken down. Maybe I have to be taken down. This is all over. This is terrible. So compare, then complain, then criticize, and then condemn. This is the slippery slide from confidence to to despair. Many of you know this. Dr. Greg Jantz, um, he runs uh, a place of hope in Edmonds. Great stuff. He offers these steps back. It starts with discernment. Being able to, to make these decisions and, and what is right, what is wrong. Focus, come into focus. Uh, forgiveness, being able to forgive yourself and, and others. And then freedom from addictions. If, if this is not your story, it needs to become your story. Freedom from these addictions. And then emotional regulation. And capacity for joy. And gratitude. This is, the, this is the step back, discernment and then focus and then forgiveness, freedom from addictions, emotional regulation, capacity for joy, and then gratitude, right? We should celebrate Thanksgiving soon. That seems in order, doesn't it? Those are, those are really great steps. And you may have some real specific need for help to climb those stairs. So let's have that discussion offline. But I wanted to just identify the stairway but as I close, let's, let's get some perspective directly from the Bible uh, <clears throat> to get some perspective above the shipwreck. Uh, and, and let's look down over the situation. And let's think about when we're storm-tossed or sick, tempted to despair. Four, these four questions come to my mind. And I'd like to take you through them and, and what the Bible has to say about them. The first question is this. What is your life? Is that a weird question? What is your what is your life? Well, James 4, 13 through 17 says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? He asks. You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. 
So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. What is, what is your life? Now, some of us could, that could cause us to despair. But the point is to turn and, and say, you know, I want Jesus to order my life. I want him to set the number of my days. I, I want him to point me in the right direction. What is my life and why do I hold on to it so tightly? Interesting. The next question, who is your life? Okay, obtuse questions. Well, let's listen to what Paul says in, to the people in Colossians uh, 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You're starting to see how these questions so far could help you have that quiet confidence in Jesus. What is your life? Well, it is what the Lord wills it to be, and I will trust him. Who is your life? Well, Christ is my life because I have died and I've been raised with him. And so my life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ appears, who is my life, then I will also appear with him in glory. I don't know if you can feel the viral healing <laughs> taking place in you, but these are truths that should sink into our souls. The third question, what if I die? What, what if this ends in my death? Let me say this, if, if you are inwardly alive, you have the real prize. Remember, you've died to self, been raised with Christ. You, you have the actual prize. Christ is your life. So I want you to ponder this with me. Life and wholeness come in relationship to God. Wholeness is healing. But, but my back hurts. My, my back does hurt. Um, well, think, think back to what Jesus said to the friends who brought the paralyzed friend. Um, and instead of saying, he's healed, you're healed. He actually brought wholeness through the forgiveness of sin. And oh yeah, just to let you know that I have the power to forgive sins get up and walk. Let me read this to you. And I want you to just ponder this wholeness and healing. Because Paul does a lot of healings, but he doesn't always do healing. So let's just think about this. Luke 5, 17 through 26. On one of those days, as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst of uh, the group before Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to rise, say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he'd been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And the proper thing, with the sign and wonder, they glorified God, were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Signs and wonders. Signs point, right, to the message and the messenger. Wonders cause awe. So the the signs and wonders and the prayers of Paul to bring the power of God point to the authority of Jesus, and especially for those who are dead in their sins. Think about this. There was lots of times where this is done to show the power of God, to point to the message of Jesus. There's sometimes where someone is, is a, a follower of God, a Christian, and they, they are healed. Absolutely. But most of the time, this is to point out to the message and the messenger. I, I, maybe you're not aware of this. Paul had several co-workers, deep friendships, who were sick occasionally. Timothy was sick, and in a letter, Paul suggests a medical cure. He doesn't just say, done, you're fine. Uh, Trophimus was a great companion that Paul said he had to leave behind because he was ill. Why didn't you, why didn't you heal him? Isn't that interesting? So just ponder with me this, these healings. And, and if you are inwardly alive, you have the real prize. Say that with me. If you're inwardly alive, you have the real prize. Because wholeness starts from the inside out. So what if, what if I die? Do I die with Christ who is my life? Because what is my life, right? A mist. The last question that comes up for me is, whom shall I fear? Now, we know what I shall fear. Well, I'll fear the shipwreck, and I'm going to fear being busted apart, and I don't want to drown, and I don't know how to swim, and all oh, this mass hysteria, craziness. I get it. But whom shall I fear? Listened to Grace Joe the other day. She's a persecuted Christian escapee from North Korea. She says of some of her family, I was like 15 feet from her. She's telling the story, and... She said, man, they lost everything, everything. But, but even in their death, they protected their faith. Oh, they protected their faith. The, the only thing to be feared is infidelity, faithlessness to God. That's the only thing to be feared. In the life of quiet confidence of those who can spread viral healing and peace. Let me read this. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. 
though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That the, the testing, right, the genuineness of your faith, that's the real prize. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. As we think about your shipwreck, maybe you're doing okay, uh, but the shipwreck around us, maybe your friends and your family members that are struggling. As you think about the confidence that, that you need to have and, and to, to be inwardly alive and, and to truly have the, the real prize in Jesus. Let me just close with Psalm 27 and let it wash over your various shipwrecks. Let it strengthen your faith and your allegiance to Jesus. Psalm 27. The Lord Yahweh is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord Yahweh is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who will stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my mother, my father have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path. Is this your prayer? Because of my enemies, give me not up to the will of of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Father God, you have revealed to us your face in Jesus. You've planted him in our hearts by your Holy Spirit through the forgiveness of our sins. We are so thankful. Would you speak a word of confidence and quiet into the hearts of those who love you and trust you? Would you wash over us as we wait for the Lord? Amen.